the English Language Digest of the Kaleidoscope podcast, your source for inspiration. Just like a kaleidoscope, which creates ever-new changing forms and mirroring patterns, in the Kaleidoscope podcast, different viewpoints and perspectives, different thinkers and experts are brought together in new ways. In the English Digest, we pick up on some of the ideas and reflect on them for our non-Yemeni listeners. Our aim is to inspire you to think beyond boundaries, to look at issues from new angles, and to integrate new ideas into inspiring, innovative solutions. Don't forget that you're part of this kaleidoscope, and sharing your thought is important to us. Contact us after each episode on social media or at contact at yemenpolicy.org. Welcome to the sixth episode of the Kaleidoscope podcast. In this podcast, which will talk about the future political dialogue in Yemen, necessary for a sustainable peace process, we welcome two guests, specialists with a world of expertise on Yemen and its granular details. First, we welcome Nadwa Dawsey. And Nadwa is a political and conflict analyst and a non-resident scholar at the Yemen Gulf Program in the Middle East Institute in Washington. And she's worked for over 20 years in conflict and peace affairs in Yemen and the region. And together with Nadwa, we welcome Mr. Mohammed Al-Qadi, who also has worked as a frontline war journalist, as journalist as well, and as an analyst with expertise in the Yemeni affairs. Very happy to have both of you aboard. Welcome to today's discussion. In the first section, we'd like to explore, you know, the, the obstacles to the assumption of, of the dialogue between Yemeni parties. Nadwa, if I may begin with you, what are you know the three key obstacles, though the, these obstacles actually might be more than that, but what are the key three obstacles that prevent the resumption of genuine constructive dialogue to resolve this you know, protracted conflict seven years on? Over to you, Nadwa. Thank you. First of all, thank you for um, for having me. It's a great honor to be um, in this podcast with you and with my old friend, uh, Mohammed uh, Al-Qadi. So the dialogue and the obstacles, the conflict in Yemen has gotten much more complex than when it started in 2014. And there are many obstacles, serious obstacles, so genuine peace talks. First of all, you have the Houthis on one hand who have gained substantial, significant military um, military power um, and made significant uh, military gains since they took Sana'a in 2014 um, to the point that they feel they don't have to compromise. Um, not that they were interested in compromising in the first place, but um, being probably the most successful military power in this conflict, they that further emboldens them. But more importantly with the Houthis is that is their political ideology, which does not really um, encourage, uh, you know, genuine engagement in, in political talks. The Houthis' political ideology relies on one main principle, which is the divine right to rule. Houthis think that they have a divine right to rule the country um, and maybe more. And they also believe that God is on their side and that they are on a sacred mission. Um, and so it's hard to dialogue with that. It's hard to have any, you know, back and forth with, with that kind of mentality. It is an obstacle. And they do believe that they, they, they will win and they will, 
they will take Yemen and probably push north uh, into Saudi Arabia. Um, so that's one obstacle. But on the other hand, you also have the anti-Houthi forces. You have the Yemeni government, you have the Southern Transitional Council, you have the Tariq Saleh forces in, 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 in the West Coast. But even, in, within, even outside these groups, you have other groups as well. And the problem with the anti-Houthi forces that are mainly you know, backed by the Saudi-led coalition, by the Saudis and the Emiratis, is that they are not in agreement with each other. In fact, they're fighting each other. You have the Yemeni government and the Southern Transitional Council fighting each other in the south. You also you have the Tariq Saleh forces in, in the west coast, which is not really you know, in good terms with the Yemeni government. And so all these divisions within the anti-Houthi forces um, led, allowed the Houthis to, you know, to create a vacuum in which Houthis was able to expand. But more importantly, the backers of these forces, the Saudis and the Emiratis, um, have divergent agendas. Um, the, the Saudis do not really have um, leadership in terms of military leadership um, and also diplomatic leadership. And if they have, it's not really effective. Um, the Emiratis have effective military um, um, you know, capabilities and they were on the ground since 2015, but the Emiratis objectives in Yemen are different from the Saudis. The Emiratis objectives is one, to undermine Islam, which is the, you know, affiliated with the Muslim Brotherhood, which the Emiratis believe, or, you know, they, they, they sanction them as a terrorist organization. And so the Emiratis have um, redirected their focus from defeating the Houthis to exterminating, exterminating Islam. And Islam is one of the major forces, if not the major forces that are fighting the Houthis on the ground. And so that these divisions and these, you know, divergent agendas between the backers of the anti-Houthi forces have all, you know, created a situation where the anti-Houthi forces are fragmented and fighting each other, which played into the hands of the Houthis literally. So, um, so which is why the Houthis have gained so much since 2018. They've expanded um, so much and they're now threatening Nair, which is the last stronghold of the government. About a month ago, they've they also expanded into Shabwa, into the south, for the first time since 2016. So you have a situation where the Saudi-led coalition has intervened militarily, but no military strategy, no plan. Uh, I can I can describe the military operations in Yemen as you know flip-flopping. One day they push the Houthis out of certain areas, and then they stop, and then the Houthis take those areas and more. So. Um, the military situation um, is, is not conductive to political dialogue because the Houthis think that they're, they're winning and the other side is not doing what it takes to weaken the Houthis enough to force them to come to the negotiation table. Um, and you have all these anti-Houthi forces that are, you know, you need a dialogue between these forces before we engage in, in a dialogue with the Houthis. So um, it's a really, really complex situation. Um, and it doesn't seem that any of the parties have a, an interest in in um, in peace, so that's why we're in this situation. That's why the the political negotiations have hit um, a, a wall. Thank you very much, Nadwa. So you mentioned multiple reasons to why you know peace talks or consultations or dialogue generally hit a wall or, or reached a stalemate. You know the the scale of complexity seems just too complex. 
to be unpacked at once. You mentioned, you know, the proliferation of armed groups who are fighting each other in the anti-Houthi front, as opposed to the Houthis being able to consolidate power since they eliminated their one-time ally, Ali Abdullah Saleh, and then eventually expanded immediately after the Stockholm Agreement in 2018, and then expanding all the way to Jof by 2020 in the spring, and then all the way, you know, to Shabwa, as you highlighted in recent months. And, and the southern area of Ma'ad, both of which were, were mostly captured in, in recent weeks. And all of these escalatory terms do not pave the way for genuine assumption of the peace process, as, as you pointed, at least any soon. Mohammed, uh, if we go and ask you the same question, actually, in, in terms of the three obstacles that, you know, hinder the assumption of peace talks, what would you name? Over to you. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Ibrahim, uh, for having me in this podcast, and it's a pleasure uh, to be uh, part of it with my uh, friend uh, Nadwa. Uh, in addition to what Nadwa said, uh, I, mean, um, I think uh, in the course of the war, we have uh, seen a growing uh, war economy, uh, which is one of the most important uh, uh, obstacles now before any any peace uh, talks or before uh, 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 seriousness. I mean to go to to uh, uh, to peace. Uh, there are now groups on both sides who have uh, profited from this war and who established their own businesses uh, out of this uh, chaotic uh, situation, uh, absence of accountability. So uh, 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 there are groups on both uh, sides. Uh, uh, are, are making use of the black market in fuel, in uh, 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 I mean money dealing and other sources of income. Uh, 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 all these are encouraging uh, different actors uh, here or there uh, uh, to to be uh, reluctant. I mean to go to peace, and uh, they are they are going to be uh, one of the most challenges, uh, of course, before. Uh, 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 any attempt, I mean, to, to move forward towards uh, real talks and, 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 and peace negotiations. I have been w- watching this since I was reporting from the ground, from the front lines in Thais, and I was uh, all the time, I used to be called by uh, foreign analysts or diplomats. I was warning from the very beginning since 2016 that there is a war economy that is uh, in, ma- in the making and it's going to be... <clears throat> Uh, a, a, a real challenge and a, a real problem in addition to what was uh, also in the making which is the culture of war uh, so uh, uh, this is one of the most important uh, uh, challenges and, and problems in addition to uh, uh, what uh, can be seen the influence of the regional powers on the uh, local actors uh, as so many people are talking about uh, 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 a proxy war, which is not uh, really true because there are some routes for Yemen uh, 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 conflict. Uh, There are some genuine reasons for what is happening on the ground. It's not completely a proxy war, but still uh, uh, the influence of the regional powers on on the local actors, which has uh, uh, been emboldened and it has uh, broadened in the course of the war is also another element that is uh, 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 that is can that can be a, a big challenge 
or a, a, a real problem uh, for any real uh, negotiations and and uh, you can see now people are talking and uh, making links between uh, the situation uh, in Yemen with uh, what is happening now in Vietnam in, in the nuclear uh, program of Iran how it is associated with, with what it's happening you can see how uh, 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 people are talking now after this uh, recent escalation between the Saudis and Emirates uh, of some shuttle uh, diplomacy for some regional actors. So it's all interlinked uh, uh, and interrelated. And uh, for this, it's not a pure Yemeni conflict now, but it is. It has its own uh, uh, um, dimensions uh, regionally and maybe internationally. So it's it's uh, also another element that. Uh, adds fuel into the fire of the Yemeni conflict and make it also more sophisticated and more uh, uh, difficult to approach without, uh, uh, I mean, such consensus among regional powers. It's it's very important. I understand that it is Yemeni conflict and it is Yemenis who should handle it. But unfortunately, you know, some or maybe all region, uh, Yemeni local actors being used by, in a way or another, by regional actors in, in, in a way that is not, uh, that is really shameful, I mean, for us as Yemenis. Thank you very much, Muhammad. Uh, you mentioned a set of complementary points to actually just illustrate how complex it is to resume dialogue, uh, which is actually sounds like doom and gloom, uh, but I hope it is not. So you mentioned divergence of interests. You mentioned the regionalization of the conflict that the Yemen file hasn't become only a Yemeni file, but it is as much an Iranian file, a Saudi file, and an an Emirati file. It's become a file for all, you know, interested stakeholders in the region and even beyond, which, of course, doesn't make things easier. And you also talked about issues like accountability and, and the black market and the war economy, which puts less incentives for actors who are actually benefiting and making profits from the suffering of the people. Uh, so on the scale of incentives, it seems like it is, there should be more incentives from peace in, in financial returns or in power returns for these groups to actually rethink their options. And And that's all interesting. Although, you know, it sounds like the assumption of dialogue between Yemeni parties is going to take some time. But if, you know, and if something magical would happen, that the conditions have changed, the military imbalance that Nadu highlighted has changed in favor of, you know, uh, the side who favors more human rights, democracy, respect of human lives, equal citizenship, justice, and an AMN for all. You know, what would you like, or how would you conceive this dialogue between the Yemeni parties to look like? Uh, is there anything in particular that you would, you know, love to see in this dialogue, whether in terms of ideas, uh, in terms of actors, in terms of principles, uh, anything at all? Uh, let's begin with Nadwa. So, So we're talking about an ideal scenario, um, which I think is unlikely to happen anytime soon, but uh, let's let's talk about what should happen in order for Yemen to transform from conflict to peace, okay? Uh, through peaceful negotiations, which is 
the very ideal tool for peace. Um, so I think two things should happen in order for peace to 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 be achieved. Um, one, all the leaders who are involved in the war, uh, in instigating the war, in continuing the war, and profiting from the war should be sidelined. They should not be part of any future negotiations um, because they're not interested in peace. They would not be interested in peace. And if they're part of a negotiation, then they will do whatever it takes to obstruct the negotiations. Because as Muhammad said, they have so much to lose if the if the war ends, and they're, they're profiting from the war. So I think these leaders should be should be should be uh, sidelined. Um, Hadi should be sidelined. Abdel Malik Al Houthi should be sidelined. Key Houthi leaders should be sideli- sidelined. And then the dialogue should involve more Yemenis than than it did in the past. So in this case, it shouldn't be Houthis and Hadi's government and only the SDC. It should be expanded. It should be it should be all the other actors that have a stake. So we have, for example, um, you know, we have all the other southern groups as well. Uh, we have the West Coast forces. We have the Tihama, you know, um, people who have always been very um, not only uh, oppressed but also exploited uh, for you know hundreds of years. Um, all these people should be around the table and should have an equal say with with the other main parties. Um, of course, you know women and youth and all of that. And we can't just bring these people as you know um, just to show that there is representation and inclusion. It has to be genuine participation and they have to have a say. I mentioned that the, the National Dialogue Conference failed and it failed because one, it was a recipe from outside. It was not really a Yemeni process. Um, somebody brought it and then the Yemenis had to do it because Westerners insisted on it. And But at the same time also, the parties who had the power and the influence and the decision making um, were not really, were not really um, uh, supporting the national dialogue they were they were negotiating using their traditional negotiation uh, methods which is war outside the national dialogue conference and that's why it collapsed Um, so moving forward these main actors these um, traditional actors elite they need to they need to go they cannot be part of any future negotiation because they're spoilers and they will continue to be spoilers and they have no right to be part of, of a national process uh, the second part is um, regional actors and international actors. Any future dialogue should be Yemeni Yemeni, and na- international actors and regional actors should not intervene. They can help, they can support, but they cannot dictate. They cannot come up with a recipe and tell Yemenis, "Oh, here is what the dialogue should look like," because Yemenis have their own ways of negotiations, and this is a country that is very rich in negotiations and conflict resolution and peace building more than any other Western country. Um, but um, so let let the, let the process be led by Yemenis, designed by Yemenis, run by Yemenis and support, you know, as much as Yemenis tell you what kind of support they need. The problem is, you know, I think this is also unrealistic because regional actors and international actors have interest in Yemen, will continue to have interest in Yemen. They will want to intervene and they will want to um, weigh the negotiations in a way that preserves their interests but if they really want peace if they really want Yemen to 
move forward. If they want the war to end and, and, and Yemenis to achieve sustainable peace, they do need to step aside and let Yemenis um, resolve their own issues um, amongst them the way they, they think it, it can be done. So um, th these are the two things I think should, should happen in order for any future negotiations to succeed. Thank you very much, Nedwa. Uh, you, you highlighted a set of very important points, actually. One is, you know, the inclusivity of the peace processes and to include, you know, voices from the civil society, from marginalized groups, from regions that have been exploited, such as in Havalmout and Tahama, uh, and, and so the rest of the country, of course. You mentioned also, you know, ways to, to sort of sideline and disengage the first class or, or the ruling elite from the political process, be it, you know, the current leadership of the legitimate government or, or the militias or etc. etc. And that's very important. What comes to my mind actually is we look back at the Arab Spring Uprising. When we had the Gulf Initiative, Saleh should have been ousted out. He should have been given a holiday to go in, in the Caribbean and just chill and, and do whatever. But that didn't happen. And he was you know, one of the seeds for the next round of, of the multifaceted conflict that we see today, lied with the Houthis and allowed them in and, and all this complexity. Uh, so the point that you mentioned is, is very important. It just now we have just more players to actually sideline. And with that come more challenges, actually. Uh, and then you talked also about, you know, the level of international support in a technical term, not in, in a way that actually owns the process. The process, as you said, should be owned by Yemenis and among Yemenis because it is their country, it is the peace that they want, but should they see the genuine support that, you know, helps them develop and, and recapture the country to the way uh, they wish. And and all of this good. The, the reason why I said, you know, if the dialogue would be to more on all obstacles uh, would be ideal removed and the situation would be ideal because you know war would have to take its time mutually conflict is resolved in two ways an outright military victory or a negotiated political settlement and and we as you said Yemen is rich with traditional mechanisms to address conflict at a local level and, and not so at a national level uh, with that I go to you Mr. Muhammad to talk about you know the kind of of, of peace, you, uh, the kind of dialogue you actually uh, imagine, what could it look like? What are the necessary principles to actually have a dialogue among Yemenis? I think uh, ceasefire is important, you know, uh, as, as a step for any uh, uh, negotiation, but uh, it should not be a ceasefire for the sake of ceasefire. It should be a ceasefire that leads to genuine, you know, a peace process, a sustainable peace process that brings a sustainable peace to Yemen rather than just a temporary situation where we have another round of conflict, which is which has been the case. I mean, every every some years we 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 have this kind of of conflict, you know, because of 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 lack of, of uh, this kind of sustainability of peace. So this is one of the most important thing is that we, I mean, all parties, they should come to a realization that, okay, I mean, military action is, is not going to lead anywhere. 
I mean, when they feel that they can live together and we can realize, okay, we have the right to, to live together, they can uh, 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 move forward for uh, any of process. But when, once, uh, I mean, as long as they are still, you know, having the feeling that they can uh, uh, control and they can defeat uh, using the military force, which has not been the case, I mean, uh, for seven years now, uh, we will not uh, move forward. So they have first to acknowledge that, okay, we are all Yemenis, we have to live in peace, we have to uh, recognize the right of each other, we have to uh, uh, come into a, a common ground, you know, uh, uh, agreement, which is that there should be uh, uh, a ceiling that under which we can uh, 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 live together. Otherwise, you know, if you have a, uh, 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 feeling that you can rule using your divine dogma or your Salafist dogma or this is uh, uh, Magusi, this is Salafist, this is Dawaish, uh, we will not reach any 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 point. So this is one of the most important thing. The other thing is that I mean regionally uh, wise. Uh, uh, we should have real support from the region uh, uh, and they should deal with Yemen not only as a threat but Yemen as 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 a partner Yemen as 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 a as a, as a country which is uh, uh, in a very important strategic uh, location which can be uh, uh, an uh, an area of interest to all the countries because we are uh, uh, on the Bible Mandab, we have a very important location. We can be uh, 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 a country uh, that can be a good event uh, for the region, for the Gulf, for all these uh, uh, neighbors. But now, unfortunately, in the international community and even the region, they have been dealing with Yemen as as a time bomb, as a threat. And this has been the case even during Saleh. So once they recognize that Yemen should enjoy peace, Yemen is, is a partner, Yemen is, 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 is a very important uh, country for us, then we can have, uh, 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 you know, the ground for moving forward towards peace. Otherwise, you know, it's gonna be uh, difficult, it's gonna be hard uh, 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 to, to, to move forward for any real uh, genuine uh, peace talks that leads to sustainable peace. Thank you. Thank you very much, Muhammad. So you highlighted the importance of ceasefire, you know, as, as an integral component to a comprehensive peace process that's not just urgent and then eventually vanishes or disappears, which has been seen in the past couple of years under the supervision of, uh, of the United Nations. And I think that's exactly how I want to, to end this podcast today. That if the war is unwinnable militarily, then at least it should stop and, and end through, you know, a, a dialogue where parties, including militias, go to talk from a position of good faith and constructive engagement for you know, the future of the country as a whole and to put an end to the suffering of millions who've who faced the consequences of the conflict inside and outside Yemen, be it Yemenis or, or actors from the region or even foreigners. 
And I think that's such a powerful note that, that you mentioned, uh, both Muhammad and Nadwa. So with this discussion today with my guests, Nadwa Dawsey from the Middle East Institute and Muhammad Al-Qadi, who's, who's worked on the field as a journalist and a war uh, reporter and an analyst as well, we highlighted a wide range of obstacles that went actually beyond my initial question of three. They mentioned an array of, of obstacles that continue to shape the, the Yemen trajectory at the moment in military, socioeconomic, and security and humanitarian terms. But they also highlighted some of the principles that should be factored in when we talk about dialogue and, 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 and the shape of dialogue that they want to see and, and what issues should be discussed. This has been a very rich discussion and, and actually dialogue with both of you. And, and I appreciate all the points that you mentioned and contributed to the sixth episode of Kaleidoscope, hosted by the Yemen Policy Center and funded by the German Federal Office. Thank you for joining me today here. Your guest was Ibrahim Jalal and wish our followers an enjoyable listen. Thank you very much for your time, Nadwan Mohammed, and we look forward to seeing you again. Thank you.